G'day, it's Phil Edwards, Vision CEO here, with a quick invitation to become part of this amazing beacon of hope called Vision. Together we can put our love into action to help people of all kinds build or rebuild their lives on the truth of God. Please consider the part you can play during our upcoming Visionathon appeal, remembering that it's your support that makes Vision possible, including this podcast. Audio on demand from Vision Christian Media. The Son of God, Understanding the Gospel of John, Part 1, a verse-by-verse audio commentary, part of the larger Understanding the Bible series. We are continuing to learn about the great Gospel of John, or really to learn about Jesus via the Gospel of John, because it's all about him, and especially from a man that knew him in a unique and singular way, part of the inner circle, foster son of the Virgin Mary part of the great apostolic team based in Jerusalem and then eventually in Ephesus, the man who in his latter years was given the stupendous revelation that now is called the book of Revelation. And a remarkable man, a remarkable life, but he doesn't want to focus on himself at all. His focus is on Jesus and to prove that Jesus is the son of David or the Messiah or Christ in Greek. He is also the Son of God. Because when God made a covenant with David, he said, David, I'm going to give you a son who will sit on your throne forever, and your son, David, will be my son as well. Son of David, Son of God. In this particular lesson, it's called Going Up to the Feast. Now, we're beginning chapter 7 of the Gospel of John. And the feast in question is the Feast of Tabernacles. It's one of the three pilgrimage feasts of the Jewish people. We'll learn more about that as we go down the track. Jewish people, particularly men, were expected to appear before the Lord three times in a year at the specific pilgrimage feasts. And that includes Passover, Pentecost, and here, the Feast of Tabernacles. In practice, they may not have gone to every single feast every single year, but where possible, they did. And that is something Jesus of Nazareth did as well. I know it's easy to think that Jesus was a Christian who went to church on Sunday and celebrated Christmas and Easter, but that's not actually what he did. He was Jewish. He was from the tribe of Judah. He was from the house of David. He was an orthodox, kosher, observant Jewish man, as were the twelve disciples, as was the Apostle Paul. In fact, the Apostle Paul made a startling declaration. I believe it's in Acts chapter 23 and verse 6, where he says to his interrogators, I am a Pharisee. Not I was, I am, like present tense. And this is after years of being a great apostle. So the Hebraic side of the Christian faith is something we need to take a little more seriously because it gives context, it gives insight, things that we wouldn't normally pick up, and it helps us to appreciate how God has chosen a people to bless the world and how God is choosing us 
to do likewise. So the lesson is called Going Up to the Feast, based on John chapter 7, verses 1 to 13. Now Jesus says this, My time is not yet come. This is verse 6. But your time is always ready, speaking to his brothers. The world cannot hate you, but it hateth me because I testify of it that the works thereof are evil. Go ye up to this feast, I go not up yet unto this feast, for my time is not yet full come. His brothers are telling him, look, you're in Galilee, you're doing this amazing work, why do it in a corner? Do it where you have an enlarged platform, where more people can see and understand and follow. In other words, go to Jerusalem. That's where the action is. And Jesus is basically saying, not yet, my time hasn't come. Because he did have an appointment in Jerusalem. Not an appointment to worship, but an appointment to die. To die for the sins of the world. If he went prematurely, then it could have been not just fatal, but ill-timed. No, when the time is right, God's time, the Kairos time, that's when redemption can be fulfilled. Now we're going to read the entire portion from John chapter 7, verses 1 to 13. Our lesson is called Going Up to the Feast, and the reference, once again, is John chapter 7, verses 1 to 13. Let's listen carefully to God's word. After these things Jesus walked in Galilee, for he would not walk in Jewry, because the Jews sought to kill him. Now the Jews' feast of tabernacles was at hand. His brethren therefore said unto him, Depart hence, and go into Judea, that thy disciples also may see the works that thou doest. For there is no man that doeth anything in secret, and he himself seeketh to be known openly. If thou do these things, show thyself to the world. For neither did his brethren believe in him. Then Jesus said unto them, My time is not yet come, but your time is always ready. The world cannot hate you, but me it hateth, because I testify of it that the works thereof are evil. Go ye up unto this feast. I go not up yet unto this feast, for my time is not yet full come. When he had said these words unto them, he abode still in Galilee. But when his brethren were gone up, then went he also up unto the feast, not openly, but as it were in secret. Then the Jews sought him at the feast and said, Where is he? And there was much murmuring among the people concerning him. For some said, He is a good man. Others said, Nay, but he deceiveth the people. Howbeit no man spake openly of him for fear of the Jews. Our reading is from John chapter 7, verses 1 to 13, and our lesson is called Going Up to the Feast. Well, let's start off with verse 1, of course, because we're beginning chapter 7, and the title or topic about chapter 7 of John's Gospel is Feast of Tabernacles. Now, in verse 1, Jesus had a deep teaching and a disappointing desertion by his general disciples, not the twelve, but the greater amount of disciples. It could have been the 70 or some other number. And th this terrible thing happened while he was teaching on the bread of life in the synagogue at Capernaum. If the response was disappointing in Galilee, 
It was downright dangerous in Judea. The Jewish elite sought to kill him. Since his time had not yet come, he decided to lie low and become a small target. So he's not going to openly come to Judea, at least not before his triumphal entry. And so we now come to that topic having to do with the Feast of Tabernacles. John 7, verse 2. John explains the time of year, the autumn, and the Feast of Tabernacles, which could happen in September or October, was at hand. This was one of the three prescribed pilgrimage feasts, along with Passover, which is in March or April, and Pentecost, which is in May or June. The command was that three times in a year, Israelite men had an appointment with the Lord. All right, where do we get this command? It's found in Exodus 23.17, Exodus 34.23, and 24. Deuteronomy 16, verse 16. So where was the appointed place with the Lord? At first, it was at the tabernacle in Shiloh. We call it Shiloh. And this was Israel's capital for about 369 years. In fact, it was their first capital before moving over to Jerusalem, although actually Hebron was the capital before Jerusalem, but after Shiloh. Then eventually, the tabernacle gave way to the temple, the Jerusalem temple, which was built by Solomon and then done centuries later by Herod the Great in the time of Jesus. In practice, it was highly unlikely that Israel appeared every three times a year. It just may not have been that practical. So, When did they appear? Whenever they could, but not necessarily thrice a year. This was particularly so for Jews who lived in the diaspora, which was very much a big thing by the time of Jesus in the first century A.D. Now, the Feast of Tabernacles, known also as the Feast of Booths, or the Hebrew name for this feast is Sukkot, was a joyful week-long festival for Israelites made temporary dwellings and lived in them, or at least had meals there, if not slept under them, using palm branches and leaves and what have you. What was the purpose of sitting in these temporary dwellings? Well, it was to remember their sojourn in the wilderness. Passover, the feast thereof, represents the crucifixion of Christ. He is our Passover lamb. Pentecost, which happens around 50 days later, represents the harvest feast, but for the Christian... It is the outpouring of the Holy Spirit, as described in Acts chapter 2, which essentially was when the church was born. Only the Feast of Tabernacles has not yet been fulfilled prophetically, but in the future, in what we call the Kingdom Age, or the Messianic Age, or the thousand-year reign of Christ, this will be observed as a feast, and the nations will come up to Jerusalem to observe the Feast of Tabernacles, lest they be deprived of rain. You can read about this in Zechariah chapter 14. And so then, John 7 verse 3, go up to Judea. Amazingly, the brethren of Jesus, and yes, he did have biological half-siblings, told him to move his ministry to Judea, giving him a better platform and greater exposure. Do your miracle there. After all, staying in Galilee will not win you points with the great and influential. After all, Messiah was meant to be a Judean from the house of David, not a Galilean carpenter's son from some obscure village like Nazareth. So, since you're 
supposed to be somebody important, go and show yourself in Judea. And in verse 4, they go on to say, these brothers of Jesus, no one does the miraculous in secret, especially if they want a following. Since you are doing these great miracles or great works, go to Judea and show yourself to the world. Now, this might seem like very helpful advice from his siblings, but John has a very different interpretation. It says in verse 5, John concludes that their intended encouragement of Jesus was more a sign of their unbelief. And chances are, the biological half-brothers of Jesus did not believe in him prior to his resurrection. Only afterwards, they were numbered with the disciples, as per Acts chapter 1, verse 14. So Jesus makes an interesting statement in John 7, verse 6. My time, your time. Jesus tells his brothers that his time had not yet come, meaning I'm not going to Judea to suit anybody's schedule. I'm only going there to suit God's schedule. I take my cue from heaven, not from people on the earth. Now, we understand the word time as kairos, K-A-I-R-O-S, kairos. And this is a wonderful word. It means the right time, the right opportunity, the open door. Friends, we all need a God-given kairos time. But remember, because it's God's given, it happens in God's timing, not our own. I still muse, and if I shared this before, it's worth repeating. There is a wonderful, wonderful pastor in Australia. I won't even say where, but he had an opportunity to go to Africa, his first ever visit, and he spoke literally to thousands and thousands. And he made a statement, a very honest statement. He says, I'm in my mid-70s. I'm not sure why God waited till I'm in my mid-70s before I had this African opportunity. This is a Kairos time. If he had gone before, he would not have experienced it. And fortunately, he is a very robust and healthy man for his age. We think he's going to keep going for a while yet to the glory of God. So God did the same with biblical greats. Look at Abraham and Sarah, for example. Or look at, who was it? Caleb. He was 85 before he got his inheritance. So God's timing is not our timing. But when it happens, it is life from the dead. And then what we have here is hatred by the world. Since Jesus was on a mission from God, timing was important. Since his brothers did not yet know God, any time would be fine. But his brothers subscribed to the current opinions of worldly people. Therefore, they could not be hated. Jesus boldly confronted the darkness and deception of the world, including the religious establishment elite. For this reason, he was hated. So he says, go ahead to his brothers. You can go up to the feast. They don't hate you. You're no threat to them. You will pretty much go there undetected. But he, Jesus, personally, was not yet going to the feast because his time of sacrifice and atonement for the sins of the world had not yet come. So John 7, verse 9, Galilee. After speaking these words, he remained in the region of Galilee, which is to the north of Jerusalem. It's approximately four days' walk, or I would estimate 150 kilometers or more 
journey. He stays in Galilee, they go up to Jerusalem, and then in verse 10, after his brothers went, Jesus also quietly and secretly went to the feast. He didn't travel in some great caravan, he just went in a way where he would be undetected. In John 7, verse 11, the Jews were fully expecting him to appear, and they asked the question, where is he? They were particularly perplexed because the Galilean contingent had arrived, and he was not among them. So where is he? But much murmuring happened after that in verse 12. There were two factions. The pro-Jesus faction said he was a good man. The anti-Jesus faction accused him of deception. But in the final verse, John seven thirteen, there was no open discussion. Apparently, the murmuring was low-key there at the temple precincts, since no one wanted to incur the displeasure of the religious elite. This is what it means by the fear of the Jews. Now, friends, let me tell you, when you have more fear of people than of God, that's bondage. But when you have more fear of God than people, that's liberty. So our lesson is called Going Up to the Feast, and our lesson for life is just as there was debate over Jesus in his day, so it is in our day. Yet for those who know the truth of Christ shall be set free. taking time to listen to this audio on demand from Vision Christian Media. To find out more about us, go to vision.org.au.